Uh, but welcome. Uh, good morning. Finding our seats here. Oh, that's great. Look at that. That is awesome. Wow. Man. Uh, like my dad used to say to me and my siblings used to say, act like you like each other. So that's what I'm going to say. We've got to pretend. We've got to pretend this morning. No, we're not pretending. We get a chance to be able to be together, preach together. Ephesians 3, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, please hop over there. And the title of my lesson this morning is Rooted in His Love. Uh, rooted in His Love. Uh, before we get started, I do, we have a bit of house, housekeeping. Uh, there, there was actually about Friday around uh, five-ish, uh, two people in the Blue Ridge Church started dating. So if that applies to you, maybe go ahead and stand up. Hey, wow. Uh, yeah, uh, that is us. It'd be kind of funny if like multiple people stood up. Um, uh, Stephen Wetzel, Amy Rosenquist started dating Friday afternoon. Um, very exciting. I do, I do want to be fair too because we, it, the awkward, it was awkward timing, but two weeks ago, uh, Ben Hutchins also started dating. Uh, and he started dating a sister from uh, uh, Toronto uh, named Melina. He's actually there now, uh, uh, you know, at church up in Toronto. So very encouraging, a couple of new dating couples in the church, uh, which is very exciting. Always great to see people go after that in a godly way. Uh, amen, which is a rarity. So very, very cool, very awesome, very exciting. Um, as Charlie Smith said when it happened, I've never seen Stephen smile so much. So there it is. There it is. Uh, so very cool. Uh, so in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 1, we're going to continue through the book of Ephesians. This is, we're going to be at the halfway point here. Uh, Paul's writing this letter from prison. Uh, if, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate Rashawn's humility earlier talking about the, the humility uh, of being put in handcuffs. And, uh, you know, that's just a, a part of, you know, our prisons today, what Paul would have to go through in, a, you know, a first century uh, you know, Mediterranean Roman prison. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, which is a church on the western shore of modern-day Turkey. It's mainly Gentiles. Those mainly folks, uh, the non-Jews, they know exactly what it's like to be discarded by society. They're, the, they're marginalized, they're the outcasts, they're, they're seen by most, especially Jews, as less. Less. And we have a little bit of experience in America, sadly, with the horrors of the African slave trade, and, and we have ra- racial tension in America that's a bit unique t- to other countries. They don't necessarily have what we have here. Uh, it, it's, it's in the same vicinity as that, but that, that's exactly what we're talking about here in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. Like they would not work together. Uh, actually, at the temple, at church, this is what they did at, you know, at the temple in Jerusalem. Is the outer courtyard was for Gentiles, and they, ha- they actually found a sign. Archaeologists found a sign that says no Gentiles past this point. Um, and and you know, it says, like, penal, uh, penalized by stoning. So if you're a Gentile and you're going to, you know, worship God, there's only so far you can go before you're told, no, 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 that's for Jews. You're not, you're not good enough. So they're very aware of their, you know, ostensible, perceived, uh, uh, you know, less, lesserness, I guess you'd say, uh, inadequacy. So they're very aware of that. This is mostly a church of Gentiles. And so Paul's preaching to them. And he spends three chapters. You know, when you write a letter to somebody, I don't know, I feel like, or even when I call somebody on the phone, I feel like I get into it pretty quick. Like, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Anyways, here's what I, here's what I called about, you know? Uh, I'm trying to get right into it. You know, I'm, do, I'm, not great, I'm not a great small talker. Uh, 
But, but Paul spends three chapters before. He hasn't told them to do anything. He hasn't called them out on their behavior. He hasn't said, hey, this is why, you know. He spends three whole chapters doing one thing. Making sure they understand God's love. Just three whole, Half the letter is trying to help them understand, God, understand God's love. And I think that's a lot of times our problem as well. Is that we don't really understand God's love. It's like BB's off the tank, you know. Like, oh yeah, God loves me and he died for me and... All right, you know, it doesn't really change us. It doesn't move us. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get, get us ex- excited and inspired. And Paul spends three whole chapters, half this letter. You know, back then you, you were limited on how long these letters could be because you could only write however long the, the, uh, the parchment was. You, you know, you, you didn't have enough. So if, if the parchment was this long, you had to fit a letter pretty short. Uh, so he doesn't have a lot of space. But he still decides, all right, three chapters, half of what I need to talk about is you getting it through your heart, getting it through your head, just how much God loves you, Gentiles. And you don't think that would have meant something to them as, oh my goodness, God loves us, us, the people not past this point. He loves us. And Paul's like, no, I want you to understand and really get that. And we're going to pick up here in, in chapter three, verse one, for this reason, Wait, for what reason? So now we've got to go back. All right. Uh, verse 22 of the preceding chapter. Um, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. All right, sweet. Got that context. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about uh, the administration of God's grace. That was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. That is huge. No longer, no, not past this point. You guys are together. You guys have an inheritance. You're heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body. And sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That is awesome. Equality. You guys are both children of God. Gentiles, Jews. You both have an equal share in what God's given. You don't think they're... Not, when the, when the church in Ephesus heard that, they were all like, yeah, you know, like, just right. You know, we are, yes, awesome. That's exciting. It's encouraging, right? It's like getting picked first, you know, out there, uh, you know, on the blacktop, right? It's like, yeah, someone, even if you're not very good, someone thinks something of me. Yeah, that, that matters when someone thinks something of us, something they believe in us. And like, no, guess how God feels toward you, toward you. And God knows you. So that's me. That's saying something. <laughs> Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose 
that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He's telling you, you know what? You used to be separated from God. Now you can approach God. And not do it with timidity or insecurity or I hope God can hear me. No, you can do it with freedom and confidence. They're, I mean, they're psyched at this point. I mean, they're like, it's got to be like reaching a fever pitch there in Ephesus. Like, it's getting better and better and better. What? We can go in the inner courtyard? No, no, we can actually approach God. We can do it with freedom and confidence. We have an inheritance in what God, what? We're just as good. At, but we're the Gentiles. Does he know we're the Gentiles? Because I, I mean, we're, we're not that great. But they're so excited and Paul's just trying to help them. And he's using all of these big words that are like the, the, the boundless glories of his riches. And, and we're like, what does that even really mean? But Paul is pulling all of his best words. He's like, just try to get it. Just get it. And I want to encourage us, just think about it. The boundless riches of an inheritance and great, all that God's done for you. We don't like to think about it. We don't really get it. This kind of love is unusual in our world. Uh, Verse 12, in him, through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, wait, for what reason? Let's go back. Verse 13, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I think that's where a lot of us are today. We get discouraged. The King James Version here says, I ask that you don't faint on my behalf. It's kind of intense, but it's kind of cool. But don't, I don't want you to faint. I don't want you to grow discouraged. And I think a lot of us, that's kind of where, we, where we're at and where we come from this morning is we're discouraged in, in some way. Uh, We can be discouraged. Think about where you are this morning in your walk with God. Maybe you're a non-disciple. Maybe you consider yourself like a Christian because you have some sort of intellectual assent to Jesus being Lord. But there's no real, your your, your life, your walk is not characterized um, by Christ. Maybe you're aware of that. Maybe you kind of come to church every now and again when it suits you. But anytime someone asks you to study the Bible or meet up, you're kind of skittish or all of a sudden you become, you know, uh, you know, you, you hide in the corner or, you know, you all of a sudden lose their number or something. Uh, you know, I'm like, ah, I just, I don't know if I can really commit. And I feel, just, I feel insecure that I can really hack it. And what if I mess up? And what if people get to know me and, and they don't like me? And what if I'm rejected? What if God doesn't really come through for me? And we get, we get insecure. We get fearful. Some of us might be disciples, uh, but, but we, we don't, we're, we're nervous to keep going forward. We get insecure. We're let down by others, perhaps. Maybe you feel let down by others. Like, I would, but that brother or that sister keeps letting me down. He doesn't text back. She doesn't text back. I call her. I try to set something up. She doesn't respond. He doesn't respond. I'm trying to love people, but they're not loving me back. So we start to kind of give up. We start to kind of pull back. Or maybe we're, maybe we're, we're you know, just nervous to, to be radical. We know what it means to be a, a Christian is radical, but we're like, yeah, but nobody else I'm seeing is really doing that. And we're very selective about who we compare ourselves to yeah. so that we can feel good. You know, <laughs> I'm not as bad as that marriage, or at least, at least my husband is, you know, at least my wife, and we compare. So we feel a little better, so we can sleep at night, but, but we, we, we're not radical, and we have this fear and this insecurity, and Paul knows that. He's like, don't get discouraged. What's interesting is that he just spent all this time building them up, right? And he's like, but don't get discouraged because he knows that that's how Satan's going to get us. Yeah. That's how Satan's going to attack you is to discourage you, to, to make you feel like, I want to, I'm going to faint. I can't do this. I'm discouraged. I'm lonely. I feel like people aren't there for me. 
Uh, I feel like, you know, I'm being uh, persecuted or, you know, people are, are making me uncomfortable. They're asking me questions that are uncomfortable questions, and I don't like that. Uh, but we feel discouraged, and we, and, and we start to give up. We start to slowly, slowly, slowly give up. And what, what a lot of times happens, too, is that we don't do this publicly because we know that, you know, that people will get on our case. So we, we still go through the, the rigmarole of everything Christian, but we start to slowly invest our time and our affections into these idols. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to you know, start to really prioritize my kids, and I'm just going to be wrapped up in my kids, and wrapped up in my, my marriage. You know, and, then, and then our emotions rise and fall, tossed back and forth by every wave of emotion with our kids or our marriage because we've invested all of our, our happiness and our self-esteem into that. Uh, maybe it's our job performance. Maybe it's just getting to that next level. If I could just get through this at work, then, uh, then, I'll, then I'll feel better. Then I'll be happy. Then I can do more for God. And we start, to, we start to invest and we pull back. And we don't, it's not obvious. It's Satan's best tactic. Satan can either give us 100% poison now or give us 1% poison over time. Both are going to do the job. But the 1% poison is much more effective. And so he feeds us this. He feeds us this and we start to buy it. And all of a sudden, we don't know how we got here. How did I get here? I'm, I'm hurting spiritually. I'm discouraged. And Paul says, don't be discouraged. It's funny. He's in prison. <laughs> they're not. He's like, don't get discouraged, guys. Hang in there. And they're like, dude, you should be discouraged. You're in prison. You know, like, but Paul's like, isn't that great? It's like, I don't know how he does that. Like, he's, he should be discouraged. But he's like, he's encouraging them. You know, and that, that's something, probably a side note we can take from Paul is, all right, man, He's got nothing going for him here. You know, it seems like nothing going for him, but he's writing letters to churches. Some churches he didn't even plant or know. He's writing churches to encourage them. That's what Paul's doing. But I want to ask you a question. Why are you discouraged this morning? Why are you faint? Why do you feel like giving up? And maybe not completely, but maybe in little ways. What, what little things have you started to give up? How have you started to slowly pull back and slowly get hurt? And one of the things I think that we, 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 we get fooled in is that we think all all fires are bad. Uh, you know, there, this is a picture of a tree here. And uh, the U.S. has taken a policy. They've changed recently, but the U.S. has taken a policy in the past that all wildfires are bad. So we put them all out uh, whenever we can. And I think sometimes we can do the same thing. We think all fires are bad. So we just, any kind of, any kind of uh, adversity, we're like, man, I thought this was going to be easy following God. This is hard. You know what? I'm out. We want God to give us what we want. Even this morning, we were in a Bible study. And, uh, you know, I asked this, this guy, the guy studying the Bible, you know, what, what is it that, why did Christ die for us? And he said, so we can go to heaven. You know, and, and, and he's, you know, he's, that, that's a very popular thought. Yeah, that's a very, but, but it, it does nothing to change us. It, it, it's like, oh, Christ died for you so you can have free stuff. It's like, wait, what? That's why he died for me? That doesn't motivate me. It doesn't change me. I think we're missing something. I think the world's missing something to really be moved. And Paul's going to say exactly what that is here in, in Ephesians. He's saying, for this reason, guys, don't be discouraged. I want you to see, we've got to get our spiritual eyes checked. In verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to share a quote. Um, it's a quote by Alexander Solzeskin. He said, We have placed too much hope in political and social reforms, only to find, to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. Uh, this guy lived during the Soviet Union, the com- rise of communism. So he got to see this whole them enamored by political and social reforms. All these things that were going to make life better. All these things that were going to help. All these things that were going to make everyone happy. And he says, we were deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual walk. That's a lot of what the world, the world is now, especially America. We're obsessed with political and social reform in one way or the other. Uh, we want to see things change. If this could just happen, then we'll be happy. And, and, and we're depriving ourselves. And it's so, it kills me. It happens a lot at UVA. People are like out there, like, you know, always uh, rioting, or not rioting, but always protesting something. That's Radford, Radford riots. But UVA protests. Um, uh, UVA's protesting something, you know, like, ah, oh, I'm spending this time. Like, I, I gotta, you know, we're, we're gonna protest. We could just protest this. And they're, they're losing sleep on it. They got these really creative signs. They're on TV. Like, this really matters. And I can't believe that they're, the mice are being used for the, I don't know, something. And it's like, like, amen. But they're so worked up about it. And like, man, if I could just change this, if I could just spend my life lobbying at Congress, then I, and it's like, you know what? People have been doing this for a long time. There's been a lot of kingdoms, a lot of empires, a lot of governments. Ours is not very old, by the way. Ours is like, you know, 200 and uh, change here. Not too much. Uh, not very old. Uh, and, and yet we get so worked up. I can just, oh man, I wonder all these things. And we, let's learn from Alexander here. No, let's not let it deprive us of our most precious possession. And that's what Paul's trying to help the church here see. You guys have something amazing going for you, but you don't see it. And we got to get our spiritual eyes checked. You know, we, gotta, we don't see it. We know it, kind of, but we don't see it. I often share this story of this, this, you know, this girl who, in high school, and she's crushed because the guy that she likes doesn't like her back, and she, you know, she, she's totally crushed. And uh, you know, she goes to her pastor, and the pastor says, well, do you have any affection knowing that, that, that Jesus loves you with all he is and has always loved you? She goes, yeah, 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 I know that, but, but I just feel so hurt by this guy. You know, she, it was so like disregarded. Yeah, I know it, but it doesn't matter. I, I know it. We have this intellectual assent, but Paul's like, do you really know it? Does it really resonate? And so he's, he's pulling out all the stops here. I pray that you can know. You ever pray just to know something? We pray a lot for stuff to go our way. Uh, you ever pray just to know? God, I pray I can know your love today. I pray that the church, I love how he says that too. You together with all the Lord's people. A lot of times people think, oh, I got to be alone to figure this out. Now you got to have your own convictions. But, but we, we really can be able to know the, the depth of God, who, by the way, I mean, that's infinite. Uh, we can know the depth of God really best together. Yeah. Uh, sitting close, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, we can actually figure it out together better than in isolation in some monastery in Switzerland. You know, uh, There's a lot of thoughts and arguments about that, but he says, listen, together with the Lord's people, 
he can figure this out. But I want to, why do you think we can't see it? A lot of times we're looking at the wrong things. We're focused on political and social reform. You know, we get sucked into these other things. This is another quote. Beauty is vanishing from our world because we live as though it did not matter. Uh, by Roger Scruton. And, you know, that beauty is vanishing from our world because we, we, we live as though it did not matter. And a lot of times, uh, you know, we don't really see beauty. We don't really see what God's doing. And then if you're like me, sadly, you get to a point where the either A, God does miracles, but you're so critical that you take something negative out of it, right? Like brother so-and-so shares that he, he reached out to a coworker and they have a Bible study and it's like a huge moment for him. And he's like, like working up confidence for months to be able to do this and God's totally blessed it. And I'm just like, well, you know, it's not going to work out or... Or I could never do that at my work. You know, it's harder for me. Or I've got more kids than he has. Or all these, like, what? A miracle just happened. Can we, be, can we see the beauty? You know, or do we live as though it didn't matter? Uh, and, and we get to that point where we're hypercritical of things. Or, you know, the, the, the other option uh, is, is that we, miracles, miracles happen, um, but, but we just, we disregard it. And it's intellectually sense, but we, it doesn't really change our lives. And we're more dominated by what we feel than what we know. Christ, he says here that he wants us to really have Christ dwell in our hearts. I don't know about you, but did you feel a little bit like, hold on, I thought Christ was already in my heart. Why are you praying for him to be in my heart? Yeah, come on. yeah I felt that a little bit. Like, hold on, I thought we already had that going, right? I thought Christ was already in there. But Paul's like, no, I want him to dwell in your heart. I want him to, and so think about that for a second. What's Paul trying to really say? Because I think a lot of us think that, oh yeah, Jesus lives, loves me and he lives in my heart, but, but, but does that really change our walk? Does it really change who we are? Um, there's, a, there's a joke, you know, that, that I heard recently and uh, kind of about where God lives. And uh, the, the, the joke is, uh, you know, there's a Sunday school teacher and she asked the kids, hey, where does, where does Jesus live? Where does God live? And one of the kids, little Lucy, said, well, uh, he lives in heaven. Uh, and she goes, yeah, yeah, great answer, Lucy. And then so she goes, oh, you know, little, little, little Bobby, little Bobby over here, little Bobby Pearson, maybe. You know, she calls on little Bobby. And Bobby goes, yeah, no, he lives in my heart. Uh, you know, and she goes, yeah, good answer, Bobby. God, Bobby's got good answers. And then uh, so she's going, and there's one little kid. And she goes, hey, where do you think God lives? And he goes, well, I think God lives in my bathroom. And uh, the, the, the teacher's kind of concerned about the kids, you know, theology at this point um, and doctrine. So, so the teacher's like, well, what do you mean? And the kid says, well, every, every morning when my sister's in the bathroom, my dad walks up to the door and says, my God, are you still in there? Um, so, so the kid thought that God was in the bathroom. But, uh, you know, we, we, it's a kind of a dumb joke. But um, I liked it, so I shared it. But, but where does God actually live, and how does he actually dwell um, in our hearts? I want to talk about God for a second. I want to talk about the world. You know, uh, I want to talk about his vast size. We can't understand the height and the, and the, and the breadth and the, and the, the width and the depth of God. It's vast. He's vast. Space is mind-blowing. It's actually a great story. I'm reading this book on why civilizations collapse. And there's this Polynesian island, a tiny island, where at any point... On the island, you can hear the ocean. It's tiny. People have been living there for a long time, uh, for, for 
probably about 1,500 years, maybe a little longer. And so when, when Europeans showed up on the island, the islanders actually asked, like, is there any part in the world where, is there any piece of land on the world where you can't hear the ocean? That blew their minds. They were like, we just assume this is the world. This little island is the world. And that was like uh, 60 years ago. So the rest of the world is like, and then we just found this island, and they're like, yeah, the, is there more? <laughs> Are you kidding? There's way more, you know? There's like seven continents more. So but that's kind of how it is with the universe. It's like, we, we can't really grasp it. A couple weeks ago, we found a seven in, er, an inhabitable planets, apparently, uh, called Trappist-1. And we're, we're excited, apparently. Your scientists are excited because it's 40 light years away, and we could, you know, potentially live there. And I was like, and then the article went on to describe how perfect it is. And I was like, hold on, let's go back to the 40 light years away thing. Um, <laughs> Because if we're traveling at the speed of light for 40 years, then we'll get there. Which we can't travel at the speed of light, so what are we so pumped about? But anyway, people were excited. Uh, but this is, we can't really measure the size of the universe, but as best we can, uh, we can measure 1 point, or 13.8 billion light years away. So light years. So traveling at the speed of light for a year. The speed of light for a year. That's how many. So it's like, that's God. That's God, right? His, we can't even grasp his size, his vast size, his, his vast artistry. There's 8.7 million species on this earth. They, they estimate as many as 100 million. A lot of that's bacteria. We just don't know it yet. We don't really, we haven't, you know, we haven't discovered them yet. But think about species on the earth, ones that have come and gone. Apparently, Australia had, had giant marsupials at one point, just walking around, just giant, uh, you know, uh, platypus, platypi. Platypi, platypi, walking around uh, on Australia. You know, I don't know. But this is like, we're finding this stuff. Man, God's so big. We're like the people on the island. Like, is there really? A... Yeah, there's way more. We don't we have this little mindset. We, all we think about is school and our kids and our, and our wife, and our husband. And we just get sucked in all our problems. And God can't. So this, this is wrong and that is wrong. And man, if God could just, and that person. And we become experts on everybody else. Everybody else's sin. We got that down. We got it down. We can name everything they've done. We keep a record of wrongs. Uh, we don't, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says don't keep a, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but we keep a record of wrongs. Now someone asks us about us, and all of a sudden we shrivel up and we back up. Hey, hey, back off, man, you know? Like, but hold on. We're just us. We're dust that appears. God is huge. Now, how much more does it mean that this God, think about what Paul just said for you. God loves you. This God loves you. Why? You're just you. You're not that great. If you didn't know that, study the Bible. Um, we're not that great. I mean, hey, amen, we got a lot of, you know, we've got good stuff going on, but this is God. Yeah. When the rich young man in Mark 10 approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, what does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's, that's Jesus, right? Like, dude, back off. You know, God is God. And we're, you know, even Jesus was like, let's have some respect here. You know, like, that's God. Uh, his vast love, since the beginning of time, they've estimated about 108 billion births. Um, think about your sin for a second. It's a lot of sin to, to, to think about. Let's just spend a day tomorrow. Let's all meet back here tomorrow and spend a day just all dwelling on our sin. None of us would probably show, maybe a few of us. But we wouldn't want to do that. We wouldn't want to just spend a day dwelling on your, your sin. Don't think about anybody else. It's just your sin. Dwell on it for a day. We'd be discouraged. We'd be, we'd be frustrated. We'd lose it. We'd lose heart. We'd be like, I mean, it would be embarrassing. We'd like be super nervous to tell even somebody, even really be honest with ourselves about our sin. 108 billion people. God knows them. The hairs on their heads. You know, God is huge. God can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. You know, God can do infinitely beyond 
That's actually one of the uh, translations. I wonder if they, got, they stole that from Toy Story or vice versa, you know? God can do infinitely beyond all you ask or imagine. Like, you know, I never got that growing up. I was like, to infinity and beyond. I didn't really think about it. And then as I got older, like I do, you know, with Disney movies, I didn't really think about the depth. Um, but uh, I was like, to infinity? You can't go beyond infinity. Whoa, that's like, a, that's like a paradox. And I got deep into it, and I got, like, I was like, that's sweet. Anyway, to infinity and beyond. It, like, doesn't make sense, right? But that's God. It doesn't, it's so big, we can't even, like, get it. We can't even get it. I tried to watch a video on going as fast as light speed to prepare for this. I didn't understand it, so I can't say it. But it's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. We can't understand going light speed. And even Einstein was wrestling with some of that stuff. But God is huge. God is huge. So I want to encourage you this morning. Don't be discouraged. Why are you discouraged? Bigger than all that, that's all impressive, and it's all, you know, the, the, the dog and pony show. But the power of God is in the cross. Yeah, come on. That is what blows minds. That is what lays me out every time. Because I can really probably scientifically rationalize all that prior stuff if I really wanted. I cannot with the cross. I cannot do it. The cross does not make any sense. Sending his perfect son to die for his enemies. Anyone who sins is an enemy of, of God. We've sinned. We've all transgressed. God sent his son to die for you because he loves you. And not because you can get a free ticket to heaven and do what you want. Not so you can say, thanks, Jesus. Let me keep living and nailing these, these, these you know, nails back into your hand. Oh, thanks, Jesus, for dying for me. I get the free ticket to heaven. I can just you know, keep slamming those nails through your median, your median nerve uh, bundles here and, uh, you know, and, and, and flog you. And I don't think that's why Christ died for us for the free ticket to live how we want and to just get heaven automatic. Christ died so that you can change. He knew that you wouldn't care. If he came down at 33 and got his throat slit for, your sac- for sacrifice for you, he knew that would. You'd be like, oh yeah, I get it, but what about the things I want? What about, let's go back to talking about me. Wow. Let's go back to dealing with me. But Jesus is like, no, we gotta, I gotta wake them up. We gotta wake them up with something so earth shattering and life changing. And that's Jesus. He is different than every other religion leader. He didn't write down anything. Muhammad did. Joseph Smith did. Buddha did. Socrates. Actually, just Socrates and Jesus are the only two people in like history who didn't write anything down but are still so well known. Jesus didn't write anything down, but this was so powerful it changed lives. Twelve unschooled, ordinary men. Their lives were changed because of this. They saw love. They gave up on him. They betrayed him. They killed him. Uh, they were, Peter was embarrassed before a servant girl. They ran away, tails between their legs like cowards, trying to save themselves. That's what we've done. Every time we've slept in instead of reading our Bible, we betrayed him. Every time our friends were talking about something worldly or inappropriate and we joined in. Every time that girl at work flirted with you and you flirted back. That guy at work flirted with you and you flirted back just because you wanted to, because you wanted that assurance. We betrayed Christ every time. And maybe it's not even that blatant. Maybe it's just you going through your life, not really doing anything for God, but also not trying just not to mess up. Not living radically, not being on fire with faith, not being excited and not, not reaching out to others. Just taking care of your own self making sure you watch over your own family because that, you know, take care of your own. Uh, we betrayed Christ. But that's why this is so astounding because he knew that. Yeah. He still loved us. Yeah. 
To be tortured and die is one thing. To go to hell for somebody is what Christ did for you. He went to hell for you. I don't, you know, and, not, and God, and that's Christ. God sent his son to hell for us. Think about my nieces, them being hurt in any way, because they're innocent. It bothers me. It bothers us when innocents are hurt. That's what innocent, you know, oh, he's innocent. My niece is innocent. A little, a little Holly, a little Jillian, they're innocent, right? Now Penny, a third niece, they're cranking. Um, but it hurts me. Even I was thinking about it today because we, st- we were studying the Bible this morning with this guy about this. Thinking about them getting hurt in the littlest way. Someone coming up and I don't mean to be rough or coarse, but someone hurting them with a knife or hurting them with anything. I was like getting mad, wanted revenge. I was like, how can I protect? It is so against me to love like God loves. It is against us. We're fallen. It's a fallen world. We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I, I need God. We need God. This kind of love is so against to, to send, for me to send Holly for any one of you. It's ridiculous. And you guys are my, some of my closest friends here and your disciples. To send Holly for an enemy, for someone that I dislike, for someone that's, that, that hates me. And there are people, you know, older I get, I think there's more people who don't like me. But uh, there are fair enough people that don't like me. And I just feel like, man, would I, would I give Holly for them? This is what motivates me. It has to. And when I start to struggle in my faith, it's because I don't get this. When I start to, to go back to being milk toast spiritually, being blasé, being weak sauce spiritually, being uh, Jesus is Lord, but nothing, no radical, no, no fire. It's because I'm, I'm missing this. I'm missing out on this. You know, I want to share a little bit, just vulnerability for me. You know, I, I, I was actually feeling, sometimes we, we get up and we feel good. We're like, yeah, all right, we're cranking. We get up, we want to have the quiet time. We got our 35-minute bookmark, you know, with the 35-minute quiet time. We're, we're, we're great. We got the cereal out. We go through. We got it all. It's awesome. Maybe we get up, our head pops off the pillow. We're excited. Oh, we have our, our men's, you know, Wegmans, uh, uh, you know, uh, man time this morning. We're going to go. I'm excited. I'm going to be there. I'm going to share something from, my, from the scriptures I've been reading. We're excited. But sometimes we're not so excited. Uh, and for last week, for me, I was feeling good. I was like kind of nervous that something bad was going to happen, you know, like, because uh, you're like, oh, three days in, like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling faithful. I want, I want to talk to that stranger there about crime. I'm feeling, you know, you feel that, and you're like, that's kind of cool, you know. You have to start to see the spirit work. Uh, and then I had this phone call uh, with, with someone, and they probably didn't mean it. They, maybe, maybe they did, but I don't know, but they said some things to me, and it really hurt. And, like, it was told, kind of shots at me, taking shots at me. And all of a sudden, I hung up the phone, and I was like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk to that dude over there. Forget him. I just want to go home. You know, just like immediately I became like super self-focused. I began to self-defense mode. You know, we get hurt, walls go up. Hurt, walls up. Get out of here. I'm taking care of myself, my family. And, you know, we get sucked into those things. And I felt like, man, it really hurt. And, you know, uh, at times like that recently, I've really been encouraged by my wife because when she sees that, she's like, you need to get with that. You need to get with, you know, there's a couple of brothers in the church who are, who are really good with me that, you know, ask me how I'm doing. And Danny's like, you need to get with that brother because he helps you. And I was like, yeah, I'll text him. You know, I'll, t- I'll cause my first thought is I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll figure it out. I'll be fine in the morning. That's my first thought, right? I'm, I'm selfish. I'm proud. I'm gonna deal with it. You know, I appreciate Jenny being pointing me back to the brothers. You need to talk to a brother about that because the brothers point me back to this. The brothers point me back to, to Christ. And it may be just listening. It may be praying together. It may be reading scriptures together. I don't know what it is. It's different every time, but if, point me back to this. 
in Romans 8, I'm just going to read it, Romans 8, verse 10. I think sometimes we think, well, how do we really understand this? And God's given us exactly who we need to know Christ. In Romans 8, 10, uh, Paul uses Christ and the Spirit interchangeably. It says here, but if Christ is in you, then even, through, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So three times he says, Jesus lives in you, Christ, uh, Spirit lives in you. It's the same thing. So the, when we are born of water and spirit, anyone here who's been born of water and spirit, like John 3 talks about, we repented and been baptized, we begin our walk with God, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means Christ dwells in you. Amen. That is awesome. When he says here, I, want, I pray that Christ can dwell in your inner being. What's he saying? The inner being is where, is where the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's where Christ is. And we got we to gotta train ourselves. It's difficult. We got to listen to the Spirit. All that means is listen to Christ. We have no idea what Christ would, would do in that situation if we don't know Christ. Uh, there's a great uh, quote. Oh, I'm going to go back to that. There's a great quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Understanding Christ means taking Christ seriously. Understanding this claim means taking seriously his absolute claim on our commitment. Uh, and I love that. We gotta, do we really understand Christ? That means we've got to be committed, guys. We've got to be committed to reading our Bibles and praying. Right. That's the only way you're going to know. We, we can think, oh, the Spirit told me. That's just your emotions. Right. That's just, the Spirit told me to date this guy because he's good looking. Like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's super convenient for you. No, that's not the Spirit. That's you. Ah, oh, the Spirit's kind of telling me that to, to move. You're moving because you want more money. It's a higher paying job. Don't give me that garbage. It's not the Spirit. What does the Bible say? I don't mean to come across intense, you know. Uh, but I think, I think there are nuances to these situations. It's not always bad to move. It's not always bad to date. Amy, Stephen, amazing, right? But I think, I think that the problem is, is that we don't know Christ well enough to have our consciences informed by the Spirit. He's in there. Christ is in there. But it's different. I'll try to give you an example. You might think, well, Christ is in there. I was, yeah, I repented. I was baptized February 20, 21st. 2003, yeah, I got the Spirit, but I don't feel like I got the Spirit. I don't feel like I have Jesus in there. No, it's kind of different. Like, are you, are you really striving to be committed to Him? It's kind of like the fact that my mom has an iPhone, but Emily Smith also has an iPhone. The way they use those iPhones is very different. My mom uses an iPhone for one, maybe two things. Pictures and texting in this giant font um, that my mom has. She said, can you make it the big letters? I was like, yeah, I'll make it the big letters. Uh, but my mom uses, my mom's got an iPhone, Right? She has it. She, but she, she uses it very differently. Emily's probably got, she knows every which thing. I was trying to set this up one time, this video. And she's like, oh, you got to get a VP thing with the DI and the ST. I don't know what she was saying. She's like, you got to. And, and I, was like, I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. But see, Emily, she's using it different. And, and I think that that's sometimes how we are with Christ. Sure, you've been baptized. Sure, you've repented. You've had faith. You've, you've, you've accepted the gift of God that is grace. But are you really, are you just like just texting in big letters? Or are you going for it to learn? What the Bible actually says. Are you utilizing? Can you, oh, the Bible, do you know the Bible like you know your iPhone, you know, this and that and this way and this nuance and that thing. And, but this one scripture says this, but be careful, this other scripture says this. And then also Jesus one time said this and then Paul over here did this. And man, Peter, this one time, Peter was over here. And you, you know it. You know the passages. You're, Christ dwells in you. He lives there. Sometimes he doesn't really live there. Like Christ lives in us. 
Sometimes it'd be like this. It'd be like if I came over to your house, you know, if, if Christ dwells there, he lives there, right? If I came over to your house, if I went over to Pierre's place, Pierre, I see you. If I come over to Pierre's place, and I was like, hey, Pierre, I got to use the restroom real quick. Can I use the restroom? And, you know, Pierre's like, ah, oh, don't know where it is. Sorry about that. Super awkward, but just look around, you'll find it. I'm like, but don't you live here? Uh, yeah, yeah, I live here, but I don't, I don't know where the bathroom is. Doesn't make sense, right? Like, hey, can I use your microwave? Ah, oh, don't know where it is. Sorry. You know, we say that Christ dwells in us, but, but, but we're not committed. And we're actually smothering the Spirit. We're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. God's done His part. God has loved you from the heavens to the earth. God has, God, He's chosen you. You're here this morning. God has sent His beautiful, innocent Son for you. God's love cannot be questioned. The question is, are we, are we really seeing? We've got to get our spiritual eyes checked. We've got to be rooted in His love. I want to go back to this picture, and, and I'm going to close out with this. But this is a California redwood tree. Now, these trees are gigantic. They're the biggest trees in the world. They're the tallest trees in the world. Some of them are thousands of years old. Isn't that crazy? Thousands of years old. These trees are huge. Uh, they're, they're only in this one location in the whole world in, like, Oregon, Northern California. Now, these trees have started to go extinct because uh, we've taken a policy as a nation to stop all forest fires. You remember that bear, right? Wasn't it a bear? Yep. Only you can prevent. There you go, Smokey. Right? To stop all forest fires. But we found out that... Some forest fires are good. And that these trees need them to reproduce. The fire actually allows the seeds to germinate. It opens up the seed. And it allows them to flourish. So all fires are not bad. Some fires are actually good. And I think that we take this perspective on our life sometimes. Uh, anything, anything bad or any adversity or anything hard. And, you know, maybe you're going through something hard right now. And I, a lot of us probably are, but we can't take this perspective that Satan's like, see, God didn't come through on his promise. That's what Satan wants us to think. God didn't come through on his promise. I told you God wasn't going to work out. I told you that church was whack. I told you those people don't really love you. And they come in and he attacks our insecurities. And he gets us to buy into all fires are bad fires. But these, tre- these trees are dying because they've been too protected. We're obsessed with, oh, I gotta be protected. I gotta protect myself. I gotta protect my kids. I gotta protect, I gotta protect, I gotta protect. And we're killing ourselves spiritually. We're killing each other spiritually. Be radical. When's the last time you were radical for Christ? When's the last time you lost sleep for God? When's the last time you didn't do something you wanted to do? You were planning on doing. You had it in your heart to do, but you, you put it aside because you wanted to do something for God. When's the last time you reached out to somebody who you have no idea who they are? You sat next to somebody at church. You don't know who they are, but you wanted to talk to them, get their name, get their number, meet up and have coffee, have a Bible study. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you asked for help on something that you thought you knew pretty well how to do? When's the last time you invited somebody in to see your marriage and asked them, hey, how can, how can, my, how can you see us be, have a more godly marriage? How can I grow as a husband? Ooh, that's a hard question. That's a tough one. I, don't, I just got shivers thinking about it. It's like Mufasa, you know, I was like, ooh. Uh, I was like, I don't, I don't want to think about it. But, but there's the thing, though, is if I try to protect, I'm just going to kill myself. But some fires are good fires. Maybe it hurts in that moment. Of, Actually, Drew, yeah, I think the way you talk to Jenny is kind of dismissive, which I've heard, it, I've heard that. I got, okay, yeah, that hurts in the moment. But, man, i got to change. i gotta, I got to make sure I love my wife and speak to her with respect. Speak to her as, as, as you know, as, you know the, the China, the fine China she is. i gotta, I got to repent. 
And so we got to invite these fires, church. These fires are good. They allow us to be stronger. And you know, trees' roots, they go deep. Two, three times the size of the actual tree. This tree is 1,500. This, this tree is uh, three times the size of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it's a big tree. How big do you think its roots are? Two, three times that. These roots are huge. And the, you know what Paul's praying here is that we have roots just like that. I pray that you're, I get on my knees before the Father. Do we get on our knees to pray for each other? Get on our knees to pray. I pray that Larry Dorier can know that he's loved by God. Man, I pray that, that, that Bonnie Allen can know just how much God, the king of the universe, has done for her. I pray. We pray for each other. We can just know that. Because when you know that, everything else is easy. When you know it, when you're armed with that knowledge, not an intellectual assent, but a conviction, established, rooted conviction. Because when the storm comes, when the fires come, that tree's going to be fine. They're actually used to fires. They actually, they, but when, you know, the fire's going to come for us in our lives. Jesus says this. When the, when the rains came down, when the streams rose in Mark 7, that house fell. We don't want to be the house that falls. We want to be the one that has a firm foundation. And Paul's praying. Paul understands the biggest weakness for the Gentiles here in Ephesus is their insecurity. I'm a Gentile. I'm no good. I could never do that. I could never lead. I'm not a Jew. I can't, I can't approach God. I'll never be enough. God under, Paul understands that through the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to remind them, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the gift of Christ. Yeah. He dwells in your hearts. I want you to just know. And I want to encourage this church. It's easy. It's, 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 it's so easy. And you're just, it's, it sounds like it's, oh, that's, that's it. You know, it's, it's not rocket science here. If we just read and pray every day, if we just read the Bible and pray every day this week, if everyone in this room did that, what a great week it would be. And not just read it, but actually resolved after we read it to do something about it. Uh, if you haven't got a 35-minute quiet time bookmark from me, please come up to me. I have a few. I'll make some more. But it's this whole idea of we want to read the Bible and we want to be resolved to act on it. We want to live it out. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to live it out. We want, our life, we want to be able to just know. And sometimes a quiet time, actually most of the time a quiet time is just, just knowing what God's done for you. Just knowing what Christ has done for you. And for us this morning, we might say all these things, we might feel discouraged, but I hope we can leave, not being caught up in thinking social or political reforms are going to change the day, not really missing out on the beauty of the world, the beauty of the galaxy, of what else really is out there, that God is the creator of all this. Intimate beauty. God is done. He's done. He's created us. Let's not miss out on that. And I pray that we can leave here committed to deepening our roots and to letting some fires burn. Because so, not all fires are bad fires. And let's read in verse uh, 22 to close out. I think it's a good fit. Sorry, verse 20 as we wrap up here. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do infinitely beyond all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory.